Every company has breakdowns in their revenue process. Sure thing deals slip into next quarter, competitors creep in and swipe deals away at the last minute, and deals getting single threaded that don't get to power. These are just a few examples of revenue leak, but there are a ton more, and they're preventing your team from reaching their sales targets. That's why I'm such a big fan of Clary's revenue platform. It's the only tool that actually helps leaders take control of their revenue and thrive through any market conditions, especially when things get tough. You can't afford to miss a single detail, but you also can't be leading by gut. Clary combines the science and the art of sales and sales leadership. So go to Clary.com if you want to answer the most important question in your business. Are you going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Welcome to the Live Better, Sell Better podcast with your host, Kevin Dorsey of Inside Sales Excellence, the number one Patreon group and YouTube channel for tech sellers and tech sales leaders, where we dive in deep for tactical advice on how to book more meetings, close more deals faster, and lead sales teams to success. But we don't stop there. We also focus on the person in salesperson. We talk about mindset, goals, time management, and so much more. So thank you for listening. And if you're interested, head on over to patreon.com slash inside sales excellence. Now with that, grab a notepad, get ready, and let's dive into the good stuff. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Live Better, Sell Better podcast. This is your host, Kevin Dorsey, a.k.a. KD. And we are going to talk about one of my favorite topics today, which is onboarding. How do you set the foundation for success for your reps for the future of their career? I believe we lose so many reps in the sales industry because they were never onboarded the right way. They got thrown into the deep end, thrown to the wolves, trial by fire. And what I think people forget about is in all those situations, someone dies. Is that really how you want to be training your reps? And so I am pumped to have Megan Suckling on the show today. She's the global director of sales dev for Shutterstock. She's got reps in New York, Singapore, Toronto, and she loves building sustainable teams, setting the foundation to build on. And she uses a word that I like, machines things that run and operate efficiently. She solves problems. She develops her people. She's a sales hacker, sales development award winner, sales star of LinkedIn 2020 and 2021. And today she's going to take us to school on onboarding. Megan, welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. Such a nice intro. You know, and it's really nice when it's all truth, right? Like there's nothing made up in there. Those are all good things happening right now. So cool. Well, I'm pumped for this because this is one of my favorite topics and it's something that means a lot to me and I'm really excited for you to share. So we're going to go right into it here. Why do you believe a strong onboarding program is so important? Well, it's a big question to start off with. It is. Onboarding is one of the most important things that we can do for our teams, truly. Um, It really sort of sets the foundation for their time as a sales professional, especially for SDRs. A lot of the time they're coming out of college or it's one of their first jobs. And so not only is it their first taste of what it's like to work for your company, but it's also their first taste in sales. 
Um, and so onboarding can really make it or break it for people um, working some of the work through I, that I do through SDR Nation. Um, we see so often SDRs having a poor onboarding experience and then totally being turned away from sales as a career in general, which is really sad. Uh, so creating that foundation of, I think, not only expectations for performance um, and providing the right training and support, but also spending a lot of time to create the right culture during onboarding is exceptionally important for the overall experience of salespeople. I love that. So let's, let's go there a little bit. Talk to me about the culture of onboarding, right? Kind of like, what do you mean by that? And how do you, so I have two questions here. I want to learn what you mean by it, but like, do you have a different culture in the onboarding program than your team? Or are you trying to inject the culture of your team into the onboarding program? So two-part question there. Yeah. So really trying to set the tone for the overall culture from an early stage. Um, so we're very, very, uh, a culture of openness, a culture of inclusivity at Shutterstock. Um, diversity is really important. Um, so we really try and set that tone from the beginning. We want people to feel like they can be their authentic selves right from the start, because we know that if they can be authentic, we're able to get them to be more motivated and, and work part harder, and they'll actually enjoy their jobs a lot more too. Um, so we really try and create that environment right from the very beginning. Um, the way that we do that is uh, a lot of people believe in having very, very structured onboarding programs, like a one size fits all approach. Um, and I think that can work in some organizations. But for me, especially because I'm hiring and working with a global team, we do have people that come from different cultures uh, all over the world and so have different expectations of even communication and human interaction. And so we really try and tailor onboarding to different learning styles and strengths a little bit, while, of course, still having those core pillars and foundational things that we know we need to cover in the first two to three weeks in order for our reps to be successful. And so let's get tactical here a little bit. I guess, how do you build in that, that culture in the onboarding? Like, how do you make sure that your new reps do feel that they can be their whole selves and they can be authentic, right? Because a lot of times new reps come in and they, they put on the sales persona hat, right? They, they put on this persona of who they think they need to be in the professional world. So how do you help pull that out of them a little bit? Like, how do you actually encourage them to be their authentic self from day one on your team? Totally. So one of the ways we do that is we create a lot of opportunities to have fun in the first few weeks. We really believe in creating uh, moments where they can connect with their peers, where we're laughing while we're making jokes, um, having sort of those team bonding moments. So setting meetings for that or creating opportunities for them to have one-on-ones and meet people throughout the company. Um, myself as a leader, as well as the rest of my leadership team, we're really intentional with how we start to build relationships with the reps that we bring on. Uh, the way that we do that is in our, in our first few conversations, it's really not talking about sales at all. It's really just about getting to know the person on the other side of the table from you and really understanding what they stand for, what they come from, how they like to learn. Um, what's the most important thing for them, you know, in the past, what are the types of learning styles that have really worked most effectively for them? And then we take a look at our overall foundational onboarding program and figure out, okay, how can we make sure that this actually caters to that specific person? Um, and then in terms of, you know, how do you really start to create space uh, uh, where you're building those spaces for people to be their authentic selves? 
Um, actually being authentic yourself as well is a really important way of showing how to do that. So being vulnerable, um, you know, one of the, in the first one-on-one I have with everybody on my team, I'm talking about my personal life. I'm talking about my dreams. Um, I'm talking about my fiance. I'm talking about my family. Um, and that's really just to open the door to have them potentially do the same thing, um, in, in a really early stage so that we can continue to build that relationship. I love that. I think it's so, so key. I love kind of like intro, like surveys or questions of like getting to know them. Like I love to ask, you know, what motivates you, which, you know, but not money, Like it's very specific. Like what motivates you besides money, right? Like how do you like to be recognized in public or in private? Do you like the fist bump or the slack? Do you want an experience or cash? Like I love to learn those little types of things from day one. So you can leverage it across the entire program, which is really, really cool. I got to take a step back because you said a a word that I want to dive into here. You said pillars. You said the pillars of like the, the program. Talk to me a little bit. What do you view as the pillars of your onboarding program? Yeah, so our onboarding program is about three weeks long. The first week, the main pillars are really understanding the business objectives, the overall sales team objectives, and then the sales development team objectives. At the end of that week, we also start to touch on some of our products that we have at Shutterstock. We do actually have a lot of products at Shutterstock. So as soon as they can start learning about some of those things, the better. Um, In the second week, we focus a lot more on actual prospecting. Um, So that means, I mean, really, when you strip back what an SDR does, it's research, emailing, they're on calls, social selling, and that's pretty much it. So we keep it pretty basic in that second week to really focus on those core skills that are going to help them be successful as quickly as possible. I do find, especially in in speaking with a lot of SDRs through SDR Nation as well, um, that a lot of the time there's just information overload in onboarding programs. And I think that can be really dangerous. Um, At the end of the day, the SDR's job is really just to find the right people to talk to and get them excited um, to continue to talk to us. They don't need to have all the answers about all our specific products um, and services that we offer. And so we keep it pretty light in that second week. And then we actually have the team on the phones by the beginning of the third week and actually doing some prospecting outreach, um, going back to sort of creating that culture where they can be authentic and feel comfortable. Um, we do that intentionally because we actually want them to fail and have those mm-hmm. moments where they come to us and they're like, oh my gosh, somebody picked up today and they hung up within five seconds on me. And it was mortifying. <laughs> and we have a good laugh about it. And then we listen to the call and we talk about tonality and a little bit about you know how they could potentially tweak that. So they actually got the opportunity to talk to that person in the future um, so creating that, that opportunity where we're throwing them in, you know, sometimes I think people have different philosophies around that. A lot of people like to wait a little bit longer. Um, but again, going back to creating that culture where we just want them to feel comfortable making mistakes and, and coming to us for support. Um, we do sort of move to get them being productive as quickly as possible. I, I love it. Right. Cause the, the old phrase used to be like, you know, fail fast. Right. I kind of believe in that, but I believe more so now in like, fail safely first. Like they fail, but they're safe. They didn't feel like their quota was blown. They didn't feel like they're going to get in trouble. They don't feel like they're going to be reprimanded or embarrassed. I was like, okay, it failed. Yeah. 
Let's laugh about it. Let's talk about it. Let's break it down right? and share those things. And we love, we, we share sales fails all the time in our onboarding of like, okay, yeah, they, they answered and I hung up. They answered and I hung up. I got so nervous, I hung up, right? And then we laugh about it and we move on to the next one. So I like that. I think that's a really, really cool thing to do. And so then how do you structure the, the duties of onboarding? Is it like, do you have an onboarding like program manager? Is it up to the individual managers? Are you doing it? Like who owns this, this system of those three pillars? So the first pillar is fully owned by a lovely individual I have on my team named Lexi. Um, She really sort of owns, she's amazing. She's such a strong teacher, helper. She's exactly the positive energy that you want to have welcoming you to the company in your first week. Um, She's also our inbound global SDR manager. So she has quite a large purview um, within the organization. And then depending on what team they're going to be working on, they'll spend the following two weeks with their actual direct manager. Sometimes that's still Lexi. Um, sometimes that's working with uh, Reem or Patrick, who are our other two managers uh, that we have within the organization. And they'll actually do some more of that tactical work and work together on a few things there. Got it. And let's go down that path a little bit, right? So like the tactics, right? Because a lot of times in onboarding, sometimes it can be like too much classroom. Right. Like you're getting all the theory, but none of the tactics. Right. So like, how do you make sure they're picking up on the tactics versus just kind of receiving it? Right. Like, oh, like, here's how you should handle this call. And they said, OK, cool. Then they get out there and their hands are shaking. And they're like, OK, like, how do I handle it? So how do you make sure they're actually picking up on the tactics? Yeah, I think a few different ways. Um, one, we we don't just do presentation style learning as a part of onboarding. Um, we actually structure it really intentionally. So we'll give them some external content material. There's so much out there. So let's say our topic for the day is on cold calling. We'll say, you know, start your day off by listening to this podcast on cold calling um, and get them to digest a little bit that way. Um, Then maybe we'll do a bit more of a structured learning presentation style, more traditional training on that um, and dive a bit deeper. Then maybe we'll give them an exercise to actually join a team power hour, listen in on calls um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, provide some some feedback or ask some questions around maybe why some of their teammates were structuring calls like that. And then they'll debrief in a one on one and actually do some role play. Um, so it, it's kind of really surrounding the topic in a number of different ways so that they're really able to get a strong grasp on that knowledge as much as possible. Um, on the other side of the coin, we really do roll up our sleeves and get in there with new hires. Um, so especially in a remote environment, um, this has been a bit of a transition. It's not so much I'm just going to plop myself down beside you and, and you know be there for you if you have questions so you can turn to me or sort of watch you work on your screen. We'll actually schedule one-on-ones to say, okay, let's pull up your account list. Let's select an account you know, share screen share with me while you find the right people to find or to talk to on LinkedIn. Um, so we, we really get in there. Um, it's not theoretical, you know, just personalize your email and go. It's like, okay, let's pull up your prospect. Let's research them together. And then let's craft the perfect email together so that you can actually learn through that thought process and through doing. I love that. And it was actually, it's a segue to the next question I want to ask, right, is remote onboarding, because this has even been something that has been a big shift for me and my teams of like, okay, we have, you know, we had a 90 day boot camp, right? It was all to, to the minute mapped out and then woof, gone, 
right? Like now we're fully remote and we have reps kind of everywhere, right? And so, and you lead a global team, so you've kind of done this a little bit before as, as well, right? So how is it different onboarding remote than it is in person? Because I think that's where a lot of people are struggling right now is how do I onboard people remotely? So what kind of insights or tactics could you give us there to help still while remote? Yeah, it's been crazy adjusting to that change as much as we were onboarding remotely before with some of the global aspects of the team. um, There always still was an in-person manager that was available and around. So it has been a major change. And I don't think we did it very well at the very beginning, but we've learned a lot since then and how to improve our program. Um, one of the things that we really lost in moving in this virtual environment was job shadowing, which I know is something that a lot of managers really rely on doing. You know, you got a free afternoon, just go sit beside this top performing rep and just watch them work. And you really do learn so much from that and and through asking questions. And so we had to find other ways for repetition, um, for the SDRs. So we needed to find ways for them to actually, uh, do more call practices or actually schedule virtual job shadowing, um, and have some more structured questions that they can ask because it might not be the exact same experience that they were getting potentially in person. Um, so it's definitely been challenging. I think we're still figuring it out a little bit more too. Um, I think we'll look to actually extend our onboarding program a bit more with some more intentional courses and classes to really reinforce training again, because, you know, when they're shutting off their training session, they're just sitting alone in their office. (laughs) They're not hearing what's going on in the sales aisles around them, which you just don't really realize how much I think that contributes to learning until it's not there. 100%. 100%. And I feel everything that you were describing because same with us. We're like, wait, okay, now what? And so we did, we extended the onboarding program, right? Ramp has taken a little bit longer remotely because you don't get as much of the tribal training, which I want to talk about here in a second, but they don't get the organic stuff, right? Of like them hearing calls, but also people hearing their calls because a lot of times new reps love to hide right? They come in and they, they go call from a conference room or they go call from a corner. We, we had a no hiding rule. You, you called from your desk for the first three months because we wanted to make sure people could hear you and give feedback, right? So, and now that's gone remotely. And so we've, we're still moving chess pieces around trying to figure out how can we help people learn remotely and so how which leads to the next one this idea of like tribal training right how do you involve your current team to onboard the new reps right so you kind of mentioned shadowing but like how do you get the current team involved with the new reps coming in to help level them up yeah so we have an incredible team um we have a lot of people that have different specialties on our teams too so we've really leaned into that um, you know, if there's one person who's a total rock star copywriter, we'll have them actually schedule a one hour session to walk through how they approach copywriting emails um, and do some sort of practice with their new hires. Um, and it's also a great opportunity, too, for people who are interested in leadership to start to get a little bit more mentorship under their belt um, and work more directly with some of the new hires. So that's been a huge focus. We also do some um, group training sessions. So for example, bring a cold call to the group, um, actually listen to that cold call. First, we'll do sort of a round table of feedback. So everybody gives, you know, maybe what's one thing that was great about that call and one thing 
where we think we could improve a little bit. And then we'll actually reenact that call um, and do sort of that more role play um, with everybody in the room. So not just the new hire, not just putting them on the spot, but getting everybody to practice so that they really feel like they're a part of the team. Um, so a combination of, of one-on-one uh, job shadowing, but then also creating those sort of group settings for learning for everybody, because as much as even if you've been in the role for a year, there's still room for you to brush up on your cold call chops um, and improve a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one of the bigger changes you'd like to make to your program, right? If you had unlimited resources or were rebuilding it again from scratch, what would be like a cool idea you've wanted to implement, but haven't been able to yet? I would love to have a dedicated person that can really be with the SDRs throughout their entire onboarding program. It's, I have amazing managers <laughs> on my team, but I feel for them sometimes. It's really hard to balance uh, running your business, running that machine, while also giving somebody the amount of support they need in order to effectively learn and ramp up as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I think there could be a lot that could potentially come from, you know, having somebody be that that dedicated person in that specific role. Um, that would be one area. And then, yeah, probably a little bit of, of what I mentioned before, like really just extending the program, I think creating more opportunities for frequent repetition. Um, it's all just like practice makes perfect. So, um, just creating more space for that over time, um, would be really key. Um, and then honestly, I I really do miss hanging out in person. So, um, you know, I hope that I, you know, I believe the future is remote and I believe, I think we'll, we'll probably be in some sort of a hybrid model, um, you know, overall out there, but, um, meeting your teammates, I think is so important building that emotional connection, celebrating, having fun together. If you can have even just a day to hang out together, you're going to be so much more likely to reach out to that person with a question, um, or a concern or a frustration, um, and I really want to create that culture where everybody feels connected and, and like they can help each other out. I, I love it. I love it. And talk to me when you get that dedicated person, because I've been able to do that twice now. And it is a game changer. It oh. helps. in so I have an SDR onboarding manager and I have an AE onboarding manager. And the AE onboarding manager is responsible for the SDRs getting promoted into the AE role. So like my SDRs, they get their boot camp. They succeed in their role. They go back into an AE bootcamp before they step into the AE role. And I have a dedicated person for each of those roles. So hit me up when, when you get that, because it is worth it. It works really, really well. And if you need someone to nudge someone over there, just tell them, point them my way. I'll nudge them. I'm like, yo, you need to do this. You absolutely need to do this. That's huge. I'm very jealous. (laughs) It is, it is worth it. And it's generally speaking, it's actually relatively easy to justify because you can say like, if we can get ramp from this to this, if we can get productivity from this to this, it's paying for itself in sometimes less than three months. It's already covering, right? And so how do you measure your onboarding program? Like, how do you know if it's succeeding or not? Yeah, uh, hitting ramp target. 
pretty simply. Um, so we do have uh, anybody who joins us, depending on when they join in the month, we, they don't really have a quota for the first month um, because it's really all about learning. They are on a 50% quota uh, for their second month and then 100% quota for their third. Um, so that if they're able to hit those benchmarks um, and actually attain their quota within the first three months, that's our biggest indicator of success. Of course, there's other little things around that behavioral wins that we see, you know, are they, if we give them a call target of say making 30 calls a day, are they actually doing that? Um, if they're not doing that, it probably just means that they're not comfortable, that they're not ready. And we need to do a better job supporting them in learning how to do that so that they can. Um, so a few other things around that, but ultimately outputs, <laughs> are they able to hit their quota or not? <laughs> I like it. So what do you do if someone's not, what if you get someone in and it's in week two and they're already like, Oh boy, like they're not, it's not seem to stick or they're not seem to get it. Or we're already seeing some of the behavioral issues, right? They're not putting in some of the actions. Like what do you do if that starts to develop in onboarding? Yeah, it's tricky when that happens. I will say we have a pretty awesome hiring framework that we've been using consistently. Nice. And fortunately, I, I really haven't run into that, um, at least in, in quite a few years. Um, but I can't imagine if I were finding myself in that situation that it would just really be an, an open conversation with that person um, to see if, you know, maybe they're having the same doubts that I am. Um, if this is, isn't quite the role that they expected um, and, you know, they're just really struggling um, getting into it. Uh, I would hope that through really being intentional with creating space for them to be authentic in those first couple of weeks that they might feel comfortable having that conversation with me um, even early on. And maybe that means we dig in even harder and, you know, I give it my all to work with them to try and build them up. Or maybe it means we, you know, just part ways because it, it wasn't the right fit to begin with. Um, but yeah, I fortunately haven't had to deal with that. <laughs> so, well, see, now you've opened up Pandora's box here, right? Because I, I'm glad that we got to this point eventually, because I do think hiring influences onboarding significantly. So many ways, especially too, if you make a bad hire into an onboarding class and they have like a negative attitude, it can spoil like the whole group, right? And so you talk about this hiring framework. Are you able to share some of these hiring frameworks of like how to vet out before they get in? Because I know a lot of people struggle with this. And truthfully, I was very similar to your response pre-pandemic. Hmm. Remotely, we've struggled with this more. We never struggled with it before, but going remote, these things started to bubble up a little bit more. So like walk us through, I guess, what you're looking for in hiring to get ahead of some of these things. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, I read a book when I first started my sales development leadership career about five years ago called The Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberg. Um, oh, yeah. It was, it kind of influenced me to build a scorecard um, for how I'm measuring interviews and measuring candidates. Um, one of the, I, I think I've already mentioned, like one of the biggest focuses for me is creating a diverse workplace. It's just really core to who I am as a woman in sales. Um, you know, being able to see other women around me is really important. 
um, but also people coming from dif different ethnic backgrounds um, as well or socioeconomic. Um, I just think creating a space for everyone to thrive in sales is, is really key. And so part of being able to do that is being able to hire a bit more scientifically rather than with that feeling, those feelings that happen that sometimes, you know, make us make decisions based off of biases, whether conscious or unconscious, that we want to stay away from as much as possible. Um, so I look for pretty standard things that probably a lot of sales development leaders look for. Um, curiosity, coachability are definitely two of the top ones that I look for. Curiosity, I just think is one of those things that you really can't teach. It has to be there or it's not. So it's really, really key that we look for that early on. Um, I look for history of excellence. That doesn't mean necessarily in a sales role that could just be, you know, were you a star scholar in your college or university program? Um, have you, you know, set a goal for yourself and, you know, hit specific milestones working towards that goal and eventually achieve that goal? Um, little things like that. We also look for work ethic, intelligence, um, and then they need to have a really strong, compelling reason why they want to be in sales. That's a really, really important one, important one that we never um, look over. I don't hire people onto my team who are unsure about whether or not they want to pursue a career in sales. I just find it so much harder to motivate them um, yes. and get them to execute on the tasks that are needed in order to deliver. Um, so those are a few of the key things that we look for. And our hiring process is pretty standard. There's sort of an initial screen with a direct hiring manager, um, which is a bit of a historical review. So, you know, digging into their resume, asking questions, um, a lot of them why based to get a better sense of who they are. Um, and then moving into more of a performance based interview where we actually um, have them do a presentation exercise and also do a live cold call, which is my favorite part. Nice. <laughs> um, and uh, then we make a decision pretty quickly or not. Sometimes depending on if we're hiring in a, a specific region, um, obviously there's, you know, I'm not an expert at hiring in France, let's say. Um, so we might want to loop in somebody from the French team to, you know, give their perspective as well, whether or not they're going to be able to really understand the market um, or communicate well with that sales group. Um, but that's that's our hiring process. I love it. It's so funny that timing literally yesterday was, you know, kind of module one of the frontline management school for Pavilion that I'm helping lead. And it was hiring, recruiting and interviewing. And I showed them how to build an interview scorecard. Where did I learn it? My dude, Mark Roberge, sales acceleration formula. So like bringing it all the way back there. Shout out to Mark. I talk to him actually still pretty frequently, which is fun. So oh, amazing. Uh, I'm a secret huge need... fan. So hey, Mark. <laughs> I got you. All right. All right. I'm making intros back in. Yeah. I'm making intros. Um, yeah. But no, a scorecard is everything because you can. You can actually measure the likelihood of success. And so much hiring oftentimes just comes down to feeling and like. Did I like this person? Yeah. Hire them. And then you wonder why it didn't work out. But I really, I started, I really love the compelling reason for sales. Like I think that's such a strong one that a lot of one people miss. And even I'm going back and I'm going to look at how well we're actually getting a compelling reason for sales versus if we're getting the surface level. Like, why are you in sales? I want to make a lot of money. Cool. 
Yeah. Or I'm competitive. I played sports. Did it we all? Just the worst. (laughs) And by the way, you played high school basketball and some intramurals in college. That's that doesn't carry over now to the sales, the sales career for most people. So that's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic. So I'm gonna do a little bit of of a pivot here because you had um, a post on LinkedIn that I want to dive into a little bit more about this idea of a four day work week which a lot of people, especially in sales, would hear that and go, blasphemous. Never, never could we do something like that. I don't agree. I think we can. I would love to hear your thoughts on this idea of a four-day work week. Yeah, absolutely. So this actually, the idea for the post came from a study that was recently done in Iceland where they actually tested this. Um, Mm -hmm. and they saw a ton of success from it. People were happier. They were more productive. So they're actually doing a similar test now. I think it's in Spain and New Zealand, and I'm sure in other places in the world as well. Um, and the reason why this resonated with me is because I have to be honest, Katie, when we first went remote, I was totally freaked out. (laughs) Uh, you've got a whole bunch of, you know, fresh grads in their first um, in their first job, a lot of the time, and a lot of them live in sometimes less than ideal living situations, right? They've got roommates, they live in their parents' basement. Um, so I, I was really fearful for how this was going to impact our productivity. Um, and so I learned a lot through this experience that really, if you do focus on hiring the right people and measuring them consistently, um, on some KPIs that you've communicated very clearly to them um, and still finding ways to create a fun and motivating culture that it's very possible to actually create a more productive environment than being chained to a desk. And so at Shutterstock last year, um, even though we transitioned fully remote in the end of March or sort of mid-March, we actually had our most productive year that we've ever had as an SDR group. And so that was a huge realization for me that, hey, there's something here. And if if I can really trust my team to do the right thing, to perform and enable them to be effective, then maybe the four-day work week could be something that we could be open to down the line. So we'll see. I love it. And I will try to help burn that path for you as well, because I think I know anything. I know. I know it can work. I think we waste so much time because we have time to waste. Whereas if you knew you only had four days to work, and I think this is also part of it. You only have four days. We fill our time. We know we've got five days and maybe a little bit of extra time on the weekend. And so we, we let it take that time versus four days. You work hard and you get out. I would love to see this become a thing because we've tested it with our own teams. We've done this for a couple of years now, right? Like you don't lose productivity on the month from those four days. There's four weeks. You don't lose, pro- you lose it because of something else. It's not that. So you keep fighting that good fight because I'm going to keep fighting that good fight. And I, I do, I believe it because I think when I looked at my team, it was a little bit the opposite. When we first went remote, I had no, no fear, no qualms. Like we'd done it before, right? Like we'd, I'd, I'd give my people remote days all the time. It wasn't that different. It was actually around like month three and four and five where like 
the stress of what we were all going through and not seeing your friends. And like we sell to doctors. So you can imagine how that went during a pandemic, right? That, that wasn't fun. It, it actually started to drain on people. The first, similar, our first couple months, great. And then it was, it was like, it started to wear on people a little bit more, just the stress and the weight of it all. So I, I'm a huge believer in that. And I think it's a good like segue as we wrap up here, right? Because the whole, the whole premise of this show, right, is live better, sell better. Right? I have this whole weird idea that if we took better care of ourselves, if we had more fun and laughs and joy and energy and fulfillment, that the sales would also improve. So outside of the idea of kind of like a four-day work week, what would your live better advice for people be, whether that's SDRs, leaders, or just anybody? It's a big one. Um, so many things. But this is really top of mind for me because I recently had somebody who decided to leave our team um, because she wanted to build her own business. Um, and I was so excited and so proud of her for making this decision. I know it had been waiting on her for a long time. But she said something when we were having a conversation right before she left. She said, just thank you for creating an environment where I could learn more about myself and just be authentic and be comfortable it's through that, that I've really figured out, you know, what I want to do and what my passions are in life. Um, so to live better, I would say always find leaders that you can work for that allow you to do that and create that space for you that don't treat you like a cold call robot <laughs> that has to make 150 dials every day, no exceptions, you know, that doesn't give you an hour to run to a doctor's appointment or take your dog out for a walk or just do the very basic human things that should be a given. Um, I think that we're seeing more and more leaders realize that through this very traumatic experience that we've had with the pandemic over the past year and a half, two years um, mm -hmm. now. And I think it's a wake up call for, uh, for all of us. So uh, that would be my my advice to, on how to live better. I love it. I love it. And man, see, now I got to go back and find it. There was a CEO that this was a couple years ago now that posted that their company gives out, I think it was like 5K, like interest-free loans to their employees basically at any time. And the whole premise is like, if you wanted to start something on the side, a lot of people don't always have the capital to do so. So that they write the check, right? Is it the industry like for like a year, a year and a half or whatever of like, okay, go, you know, go get that first shipment or go launch that website or do whatever else. I just thought that was the coolest idea. I reached out to them. I was like, that's amazing. So I love the encouragement you gave to your, um, to your rep to like, to take that leap, you know, because I do, there's reps I've had on my team too, where like, I want them to do those things, right? It's like, wait, when is the last time you taught yoga? Because I believe if you were actually teaching yoga, you'd be a better SDR right now. You'd be a better NAE because that's what you love to do, like doing both. So I think that's a great note for one, reps to look for those leaders, but leaders take notes there. Be that type of leader and you'll be shocked at the impact that it can have on your team. So uh, Megan, this, this did not disappoint. I've got literally two and a half pages of notes here. Where can people go get more of you, learn from you? What are you involved in? How can they get more, Megan, in their lives? 
Well, thank you for having me. Um, if you are looking for more Megan in your life, uh, you can join us at SDR Nation, um, where I am a founding coach. It's the number one community for SDRs all over the world. We have access to incredible content. Uh, you can get one-on-one coaching as well. And I am one of the coaches in the community. So uh, you can book time with me through there. Hell yeah. Y'all heard it. That's direct access right there. That's not just a LinkedIn post. You can get your cold calls coached by Megan Sarkman. So Megan, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your insights. Really, really appreciate you. And probably gonna have to have you come back again. I think we got some more things to talk about. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me.